All rise in the courtroom and to those listening on stream for the dishonorable badger is entering the scene. Apparently doing this as a day job simply was not enough. So let your jaws drop to the floor cause we can't make this stuff up. Welcome back to the legal fun house. We put the fun in dysfunctional. It's crazy in the legal fun house but weirdly educational. But every single one is remarkably true. to law school and is more than qualified to talk about the strangest cases from the strangest people alive and the friend that he brought along barely past eighth grade whose legal experience lies within parking in the fire lane welcome back to the legal fun house we're just as confused as you it's finally time for the legal fun house and without further ado Every single one is remarkably true. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Boozy's Legal Funhouse. I am your host, the Boozy Badger, Boozy Barrister, and with me, as always, is our certified legal layman, Alkali. Say hi, Alkali. Hello, everyone. Glad to be back. Yeah, it's about fucking time. <laughs> I'm here now. Let's. That's, let's, that's let's, all I've got. I'm that, here that's now. That's not all that matters. <laughs> Sometimes. Alright, keep talking. I am going to continue to talk in a method that is totally natural to me. This is how I talk. This is me Radio. making sure, yeah, this is me making sure my headphones work because I'm a high-class setup over here. Which brings us to the first part of every episode of Boozy's Legal Funhouse. For those people who are listening at home, we don't edit. Oh, I thought we were about to do the bikini competition. Yeah, no, no, we, we don't edit. I'm lazy, and I refuse to audio edit. So if we fuck up, it stays in. <laughs> I have only broken that rule twice. So Alkali, uh, yes. B- before we get into the episode, we've been absent since about July. Yep, yeah, we have, and uh, oh, I wish I knew the reason for that. It's it's such a complicated world we live in. The the, the relationship that we had with the timetable, it just we broke, we broke, and uh, and it took a little bit to uh, not cry into a microphone. <laughs> I, I, by the way, you probably could have sold that. Oh yeah, yeah, like <laughs> as as an ASMR, yeah, fat ferret cries. Fat ferret. Cr- oh my god! <laughs> I'm so lonely. <laughs> hey, uh, Boozy, I'm feeling a little bit better, but I can't pay my bills this month. Could you remind me what a piece of shit I am so I can go stream? Yeah, sure. You- hey, buddy, you're a piece of shit. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> 
I'm buying a new house. What I'm getting at, Alkali had a relationship status change. Uh, We had guests here, took a little bit. So thank you for bearing with us during the long break while everybody got their personal shit in order. Uh, As I seriously, guys, everyone out there, all joking aside, it means the world to me. Uh, I'm so sorry I had to take that big piece of time off but uh i'm not i'm not i I was like very blood like patreon supporters are pinging me on social media and they're like when's the next episode of boozy's legal funhouse coming out and i'm like when my friend's emotionally stable (laughs) (laughs) well then we're not recording anytime soon (laughs) when my friend's reasonably emotionally stable now we're facing reality. <laughs> Got it. So, for those of you listening at home, uh, this is Booze's Legal Funhouse. We record it live. I don't fucking edit it. Uh, I think I've edited it twice. Yeah, for decent reasons. Yeah. Uh, it is a conversation, a discussion of a basic legal principle through a case. I am, as I'll say here in a moment, a disclaimer, an attorney, an alkali there most definitely is fucking not. Not even remotely. So we get to see him be amazed at these things. But before we get going, as always, there is a disclaimer. It's a lawyer. There's a disclaimer. Boozy's Legal Funhouse is an educational, informational, and hopefully entertaining discussion of law and basic legal principles. What it is not is legal advice. I am a lawyer. I am not your lawyer. The only way that I would become your lawyer is if you come into my office, tell me about your problem, I agree to represent you, hand you an engagement letter, you sign it, pay a retainer of my choosing, don't just PayPal me a dollar and say I'm your lawyer. Doesn't work that way. And then we have a relationship. However, you can't do any of those things. I'm not in private practice, and I don't accept private clients. So you need to do that with an attorney in your area. No attorney-client relationship will exist as a result of this, and no attorney-client privilege will attach. Please, for the love of God, if you are watching this live and in the chat room, do not start admitting to crimes in the chat. What about 20% of crimes? Uh, Only 20%. Only 20%. Only 20%. Only 20%. Alkali and I, uh, last week, went to a convention that was really more, I, I like described it to people as a beer festival. It was a beer festival It was a beer festival. Days. And what we had was somebody coming over to the fire that we were sitting around who sat down and decided to talk to me at length about all the crimes they have been accused of committing. Forgive me, Father Lawyer, for I have sinned multiple times. At which point, halfway through this, they said that I've only done about 20% of what they've accused me of. And I sat there and thought, if you've only committed 20% of the felonies they've accused you of, you're still committing felonies. Maybe don't walk up to a random guy at a fire pit and start talking about this. They knew you were a lawyer. This made perfect sense. Makes no sense. So next next year I've decided I'm going to get a refrigerator box and wear a priest's cassock and set up a confessional by the fire pit. Oh, my God. Does that make me your nun? Yes, it does. I get to give out the spankings. Spankings. (laughs) Sister Mary Lottaboo's there. Nice. Good one. (laughs) So we have a a wonderful case for you all. It's all about Halloween decorations. Okay. Tombstones. That makes sense. Neighborhood disputes. 
That's how most of those come about. And Illinois Nazis. Uh, I live in Illinois. Why do we have labeled Nazis here? <laughs> Don't you remember? You've seen Blues Brothers. Obviously. Yes, I've you, seen Blues You live Brothers. in Illinois. I, I think you have to watch it like once a month if you live in Chicago, right? Uh, the, the nation's national anthem we all know. Illinois' national anthem is the original Blues Brothers. <laughs> so there's a and lot. Church of Satan is Blues Brothers 2000. <laughs> I actually liked Blues Brothers 2000. I actually haven't seen it. I just thought of that and needed to say it. Shut up. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I'm making things up. So, so you know that famous line in Blues Brothers, Illinois Nazis, I hate Illinois Nazis. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we got Illinois Nazis today. Damn it. But before we get to that, it is time to read off the names of the Patreon supporters of the Legal Fun House at the $5 level and above. So thank you guys. Special thank you to Jack of All Korgs, Tezcat Magic, Jack, Waylon DeRose, Dozer Trash Panda, Mama T, Uncle Kage, David Hunter, Evelyn Klein, Lupus the Raccoon, Netherlinks, Pandemonium, Petroff Neutrino, Andy, Buddy Good Boy, CC Otter, Chroma Hydra, Dragor, Eddie the Weather Fox, Emily Whitebrood, Floofy Foxers, Ghost Goat, Grace Jane Gollinger, Head Foxen, Jason Knight, Julie Esslinger, Just James, Lack, Leon Dashwood, Lorraine Poirier, Mark Whipple, Michael Blocker, Nikolai, Autopoom, Red Fox, Rune Dog, Scuba Fox, Sarathan, Silver, Skyre, Tekel, The Dragon Show, Tiny Voices, Tyron, and Ziggy. If you want to be one of those wonderful people, you can do that over at patreon.com slash lawyers and liquor or... In addition to that, I should say, not or, fuck you, give me your money. Um, But in addition to giving me your money, you can also support our certified legal layman, Alkali. Alkali, how can they do that? Uh, You can find me over at Twitch right now on Alkali's Anonymous. Alkali's Anonymous uh, over on Twitch. And I'm getting the uh, Patreon reset up under the new name this week. So give me a little bit on that one. Uh, I want to say I am actually very impressed at I tuned into your first stream back yesterday. Oh, thank you. Um, I did see you in the chat. I really appreciated that, dude. Thanks. I, I'm just impressed that you spelled anonymous correctly. I use spell check. Wrote it in Google. You <laughs> R- wrote it. That's a, if you don't have access to spell check, you go to the Google search. You click on the first thing, and you hope to God it's the word you wanted to use. I love it. I often describe Alkali. He's a very dear friend. I often describe him as the only man I know who can verbally typo. Absolutely. Like every, I trip over my tongue a lot. What do you want from me? Every time I get typos, he's like, it's talk to text, and I'm going, that doesn't matter. That The word's not spelled correctly, sir. It's... I have taught my phone how to misspell in my own way. Oh. If you, if you keep adding the words that you misspell, your phone just doesn't like you. <laughs> so, before we get to our case, after our Patreon reading, uh, there's something we do every, every time we record, and that is uh, the legal news. I've missed this. Out of all the segments, I do love the weird legal news. So, uh, what did AI chat do this week? It's not AI chat. It's not oh, AI good. chat. So every area has that gas station, right? The the gas station or convenience store that they love. Where I am in the Philly area, it's uh, the Wawa. Uh, or if you're like me and prefer their hoagies, uh, the Sheets. 
Nice. Uh, We had Reenies. We had Reenies, and I missed that so much as a kid. It was a a, a tiny little two-pump gas station. It had a little grill in back and a bar set up, but it was so close to the two schools in the district. It was a uh, it was a kids bar, soda jerking fountain, like market day individual pizzas they put in a toaster oven. It was genuinely like it was like a role play bar. A bunch of kids went there. It was like, look, alcoholics, and you'd sit there and beg the soda jerker to not put in as much water into the green river because we didn't believe in cavities. I was under fucking 10 years, uh, probably about 12 or 13. So cavities didn't exist yet. The fact that you had a LARP bar growing up? Kinda. It was kind of a LARP bar. You just go in there and pretend to be drunks. Like all of us did it. It worked. This explains so much about you. (laughs) Doesn't it? So the big gas station now, the one that everybody talks about, everybody loves, is that one with the beaver out front. The beaver out the front? The beaver out front. Bucky's. Nice beaver. Oh, yeah, Bucky's. I've seen, okay. Bucky's, yeah. It, it's a large, kind of a southern-based gas station chain that started moving into the Midwest and the Northeast. Uh, it has apparently like amazing brisket. It's like a cross between a gas station and a grocery store almost from what I understand. I've, I've never been nice. to one. I just keep hearing about it. <laughs> and everybody loves Bucky's. Okay. And I'm certain that the Wasik family, uh, loves Bucky's because Donald Wasik was the co-founder of Bucky's. Oh, Hey, your cams went out. Chat is saying. Oh. Also, hi chat. My cam you has min- gone out. Yes, they have. Jesus. You did you minimize the screen? That's that's that weird. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've had that happen before. Sorry, everyone. It's sorry for be everyone back. listening in on a recording, because you don't care about this part. So Donald Wasick is the co-founder of Bucky's. Right? Okay. He he was one of the people who founded Bucky's and apparently has done very well. His family has multiple residences. Uh, they have residences in uh, Dallas. Uh, they have houses, it appears, uh, over near Lake Travis in Austin, Texas. Uh, they have houses in vacation spots, Colorado, uh, other places like that. Just uh, apparently they've done very, very well for themselves. And uh, occasionally people stay in their vacation homes. Okay. All right. Uh, which is really good for the Wasix. Uh, I, like, I don't know if it's a Airbnb or Burbo situation, or if there's friends letting use it. Uh, you know who probably does know? Who's that? Uh, Mitchell Wasik, the 28-year-old son of Donald Wasik. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell Wasik uh, would definitely know, because uh, Mitchell Wasik uh, has been arrested recently. Oh. Yeah, uh, on 28 counts of invasive visual recording. That's a new one to me. Invasive? Oh, God. Did they fly a drone next to the neighbor's bedroom window? Nope. I, I'm genuinely out of things that I would ever want to say over a stream. What did he do? So, uh, cameras have gotten pretty small. Oh, yeah. Cameras have gotten pretty small when you have multiple guest houses. 
Oh, fuck. That people are oh, staying in. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh... Like the people who stayed in the, uh, in the Wasic guest house and uh, discovered a charging cord running up to a hidden camera. God. And I'll bet you that was in the bedroom. Oh, God, or the bathroom. Uh, you're right on both. Um, no! Oh! They, they say that house guests went to the police after they saw a charging port with a hidden camera in a bathroom wall at their home near Lake Travis. Uh, the friends then took the camera with them uh, and looked at it and discovered a number of, uh, of recordings of people showering and changing and having sex. All in all, about uh, 13 people were found on these cameras, at least. And I'm never staying at Airbnb again uh, and, unless I want to start a porn career. Well, and actually, actually, it's a little worse this time because it wasn't a... Uh, it wasn't Airbnb. I mean, maybe they were doing that. Maybe that's why those cameras were all over the place. Um, oh, it was Vibro. No, these were actually like his friends. They were there visiting him. Oh, my God. <laughs> the The guest was a cybersecurity expert and found, okay, found the camera funny. and took it to the police. So uh, how do they know who did it? Okay, how do... Tell me there's a receipt of him paying people to install these things. Amazon. Even better. He bought the cameras on Amazon, and they subpoenaed the Amazon records, and they found the purchase receipts. Oh, my God. Now, Mitchell Wasick, oh. Mitchell Wasick uh, his, his lawyers have basically said, we're going to respond to this in court. We're not admitting any wrongdoing. But very okay. expected, and everyone should remember... You have a uh, a presumption of innocence in the United States of America, especially so, if your dad's rich. Uh, and that how they get around dad rich? Well, there's a two hundred eighty thousand dollar bond out for the founder of Bucky's son. But why is this in the legal news section? Uh, because I'm about to buy a probe camera for my D and D streams, well, I, and now you want to scare me about the receipts that I will have. Uh, why, why would I, in an area where we're talking about legal news, why would a rich person allegedly installing cameras in one of their many houses to catch guests in various compromising positions be in the legal news section? How many times has this happened before? It's not how many times it's happened before. That has nothing to do with this. Then what does it have to do with? It has to do with the fact that Mitchell Wasick is a law student at the Southern Methodist University's Dedman School of Law. I always thought your kind knew better. <laughs> you you do not know many lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> I know one. The the SMU Dedman School of Law has released a statement saying that they have investigated and they have determined he didn't put any hidden cameras on their campus. Uh, that had to be an interesting <laughs> t- uh, 
What's that parent-teacher meeting? <laughs> they don't. They don't do those in law. Do you think in law school they're like, okay, it's parent-teacher conferences? Boozy, I know exactly one lawyer. I've never met a. <laughs> I've never met a profession that needed that more. <laughs> Come on in. I want to talk to your parents. Did the- you know your son wants to be a uh, lawyer? <laughs> So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, obviously, once again, presumption of innocence. But I saw that and I immediately thought of you. And I thought of you because of that wonderful red roof in. Uh, the greatest hotel that we still don't know if we paid for. <laughs> to, to fill you all in, when we went to our beer festival, Alkali got the hotel room. Damn right. And I said, there's a comfort inn down the street for like $110. Hundred and ten dollars, huh? Yeah, Alkali found a red roof in for what, like eighty bucks a night. Uh, I have a triple A. It was sixty. <laughs> sixty bucks a night. He yeah. He booked it for a double bed. Showed up and was told, "No such thing as a double bed." They had never heard of a room with two beds in it. That sounds luxurious. One king bed that we had to move to fit the air mattress into. Hey, at least I always bring an air mattress with me everywhere. What does that say about me that I'm at the point of my life where, like, I need to travel with an air mattress? I love there was a sticker on the door that said 100% smoke-free. And I looked at it and I said, I guess those cigarette burns on the comforter are an aesthetic choice then. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. oh my God. It was a nice, it was a nice hotel. It does beat my all time favorite cheapo hotel that obviously had a hole in the floor that they then covered with the linoleum. Cause you could walk over it and feel like, Oh, I'm not only falling through this, I'm taking the floor with me. What I liked was when after the first night of drinking, we locked ourselves out of our room. Yep. So Alkali goes down to the front desk to tell them, Hey, our key stopped working. And what did the guy do? I walked in. Told him the key stopped working. He was not the same guy who checked me in. And he created two keys, handed them to me, and went back to watching his soap operas. Obviously after checking your ID or something, right? No, I didn't take out my wallet. I didn't. I barely got through. I lost my key. <laughs> they were just like, yeah, okay, what room? All right, here you go. My Oh, I'm uncomfortable. We're definitely latching this door tonight. And we did. <laughs> Very. I should have just told them, like, oh, uh, all of them. They were all my. Yeah, here you go. I booked the whole place. I booked. I still love the towels in the morning. They had a sign out. It's like, oh, we don't uh, clean the rooms or anything. <coughs> if you need towels, bring your used and trade them in in the laundry room. I'm like, okay. I go over there. There's no one there, and there's no towels. But there was a stack of bath mats, so I left two towels and brought back 20 bath mats, <laughs> figuring that 20 of them should be the absorption of two towels. I was correct. Oh, it was it was an experience. We, we travel fancy. <laughs> Always. This is what you get when you tell me to get the room. Hey, look, this place is $100. And I'm like, three numbers? That's far <laughs> too many. No. Oh. You wanted a floor. <laughs> walk on the pipes like a man. Uh, so, our case tonight uh, 
it is a wonderful. It's actually from uh from your area of the world. The Illinois Nazis. It, it comes from Illinois. Uh, oh joy! The case is Pirtle v. Mason. It is a United States Circuit Court of Appeal for the Seventh Circuit case. Uh, the citation on this, all those funny numbers I give, is five two seven F. 3D, 615, 7th Circuit, 2008. Now, uh, I heard 3D in there. They're into VR. Yeah, obviously. So let me ask, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in a city? Did you grow up in a suburb? Uh, south suburb, uh, uh, right outside of all the Heights's. Palos Heights, Palos Hills, Palos Park, all that. Uh, yeah, but down on the south side of Chicago, born and raised. I'm still here. Evergreen Park is, is kind of near, uh, it's it's pretty south side. I actually really like it. All that BS about the south side of Chicago being crappy. Like, we've got areas, but I genuinely love it down here. It's a hodgepodge of just awesome people who are so lazy that we end up doing each other's lawns in like a monthly rotating basis. Well, let me ask, are you familiar with Bloomingdale, Illinois? Absolutely. And where about is that? Uh, that would be more north of me, I believe. I've been out there. I've been out that way a few times. I drive all over this place because cheap cigarettes. And would you happen to be familiar with two people named Jeffrey and Vicky Pirtle? Uh, I am not. Okay, good. So this isn't going to get any more awkward than it needs to be. <laughs> That's my cousin! Like, like, I was about to say, your cousin's kind of a dick. <laughs> uh, That's my cousin! So you grew up in the suburbs. Uh, let me ask when you were growing up in the suburbs, how did disputes get handled? Like if, if a neighbor thought your grass was too tall. Um, that means <laughs> my dad liked yard work and mowed both of our neighbor's lawns because it was easier for him to figure out the geometry of a riding lawnmower if he could use their driveway. <laughs> However, the way that we settled disputes, i.e. we had a corner house. Corner houses are notorious for people just driving over the corner of your lawn to cut the corner of the street. So what did my dad do? Pal traps. <laughs> the neighbor at the other end of the block, same same concept. Big old corner lot. You know what he did? Boulders. I boulders. Have... You know what they did? Zigzagged around the boulders. <laughs> I am. Um... I just want to go on record as saying, I can't believe that your dad's not on this suit if he was throwing down caltrops to blow out tires. He, he got so angry. He got so angry, and he knew who was doing it, too. It was a uh, the, the older brother of one of my friends, my brother's friends. He knew exactly <laughs> who it was and uh, got pissy on, like, the second time it happened in one month. And I went out there, and he's in the garage gluing nails together. I'm like, you, you can't do that. You, uh, you did. What? I mean, like, actually, no, you may be able to do that one. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't do that because he's not going to pick him up before he mows the lawn. Oh. And I've already seen rock <laughs> shoot out of that fucking lawnmower. Fucking <laughs> just shrapnel go, hey, Jim, hits a cow trap, kills Jim. <laughs> exactly. Well, I grew up in the suburbs, too, and uh, most neighborhood disputes in the neighborhood I grew up in, at least, was like knocking on the door and, hey, man, could you change this? Oh, okay. Uh, you know, like, hey, you got your shipbox car parked on the road. Could you move it into the garage, maybe? 
That'd be how we would do it with a with a neighbor, with, yeah. with our actual neighbor. Sure, yeah. So, so like, the Pirtles, they live in Bloomingdale, Illinois, uh, and they have a rather large recreational vehicle. Uh, and bigger, they're RV people. Nice. They, they like to travel to see America, right? A okay. 38-foot-long, 12-foot-high RV that they are like a good neighbor. You know, like State Farm. They're keeping it at... <laughs> you can fucking pay me for that anytime, State Farm. Uh, Let's go! They're keeping it at a storage facility. Like, they, they've got uh, a garage space or a parking space at an off-site uh, storage facility, and they're paying for it there. Uh, but then, in 2001, they start to have a little bit of financial trouble. Okay. Okay. Uh, and they can't afford the storage facility anymore. So they, they bring their RV and they put it in the driveway of their home. This 38-foot-long, 12-foot-high RV sitting in the driveway of their house. See, I'm very used to seeing things like that. So, so far, so good. So it's there for like over a year. Okay. And the neighbors uh, are kind of like... like the, I love it. There's a... Uh, the, the court opinion, this may be the only time I've seen it, is... Uh, let's see... Uh, it is, I've got to read verbatim. In 2001, however, they fell on hard financial times and parked it on the driveway of their home in the village of Bloomingdale, Illinois. It sat there for more than a year. Here is okay. a picture. Oh, where are you putting it? No, no, I don't have the picture. <laughs> the opinion doesn't include the picture in the form that I received it. That's a shame. But the court was kind of like I can only imagine what it must have looked like, because the court's I'm like assume the court's it, like, here's a picture of this. It doesn't sound bad. Just writing it down. So we're gonna show you what it looks like. You know that just uh, I can kind of imagine because this is Illinois and we are the kings of ivy. So I got to imagine it just looks like so there's a jungle in their driveway that somebody might be living in. Like like half rotted out. Oh, there's there's spray paint on the side. Bloomingdale doesn't get spray paint. They get white collar crimes. <laughs> well, all I know is the next line after the picture that I don't have is the Pertel's neighbors were unhappy but tolerated the presence of this eyesore. I mean, you kind of got to. I, I, I didn't know there was a problem with it. I've got my van parked constantly in my driveway that looks annoying. But... I mean, your van's not 38 feet long, 12 feet high, and so bad that the court's like, words do not do this justice. Let's show a picture. Fair enough, but I haven't glued the top hat to the top of my van yet, so we'll see how that goes next week. So, so, and, and then the court didn't immediately turn around and go, by the way, this is an eyesore. Like, no one after viewing the picture, I'm imagining this picture now. <laughs> I, I, I really am. I'm, I'm just like, much like our listeners at home, who even if I had the picture, you can't fucking see it. I'm imagining it because the court says, uh, what words, words do not describe this adequately. Here's a picture. And then the very next All line. Right. Now that fucking eyesore was tolerated. Okay. All right. So this is a dilapidated, vine-covered, weeds growing around. It hasn't moved. Yeah, no, I know that look. We had neighbors like this, too. And you Jay know. They just couldn't afford a 40-foot fucking truck. And you know it had to be bad. You know it had to be bad because the neighbors 
Like they they wanted something done about it, but nothing could be done about it because there was no village ordinance that banned the parking of RVs in residential zones. I didn't even know there were ordinances that did that. Yep. It makes sense. So so the neighbors are dealing with it, right? And you know, if it's looking nice, okay, it's it's something that bothers you, but it looks nice, right? Right. Okay, so you know it's ugly because the neighbors did not just let it go. Yeah. The neighbors started a petition drive to urge legislative change. Oh, God. And and have an ordinance put into effect to ban RVs from being stored on residential uh, residential property within the village of Bloomingdale, Illinois. So, by the way, if you're listening... I don't like that. If you're listening in Bloomingdale, Illinois, and you have an RV, and you've ever been mad about the inability to keep it in your driveway, blame the fucking Purtles, because they're the ones who pissed off people enough that they started a drive to change the law to ban it. God. Now I really want to see this picture, because I love RVs. So late November 2002, uh, the village board enacts this ordinance that says, hey, you cannot store your RVs on your residential property. Uh, the Purtles eventually said, okay, we'll move the RV. Right. Okay. So they, they do move it, but, uh, but before the ordinance is adopted and while it's being considered. Now, remember, the ordinance is adopted in late November, right? Okay. All right. So uh, they started this drive, you know, in the summer. What happens between the summer and late November? Bees. What other than bees happens between the summer and late November? Uh, it gets colder. And we have a certain holiday. Oh, yeah. What are those things called? Fourth of July. God damn it, Alkaline. <laughs> we have Thanksgiving. We have uh, other weird holidays Just, that I don't participate in. You're, you're, you're fucking around all the holidays that I need you to Halloween. mention. Halloween. Thank you. That's right. There's a topic on today's Jesus show. Jesus Christ. I like that holiday. I ate all the candy I bought for the kids already. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me at fucking all? They were on sale. Whole size candy bars on <laughs> sale. And then I remembered I'm a fat ass. So they're gone now. Well, the village board is considering this ordinance around Halloween. It's mid-October. and The Purtles decorate for Halloween. They're, they're, they're people like me. They decorate their home for Halloween. All right. <laughs> and this year, they decided to put up six tombstones. All right. Now, these tombstones, they're wooden cross tombstones. They're about uh, three feet tall. They're placed okay. about five feet back from the road, from the sidewalk. They're facing the sidewalk. Okay. Uh, and each tombstone has a verse written on it. Okay? Okay, I like this. I like this. So, let me uh let me go through the verses. Old John Burka said he didn't give a care, so they buried him alive up to his hair. He couldn't nice. breathe, so we're relieved of that nasty old jerk. 1888. <laughs> 1610. 
Diane was known for lying, so she was fried. Now, underneath these daisies, roses are red, violets are blue. There's still some space waiting for you. Like it. Betty wasn't ready, but here she lies. For ever since that night she died, 12 feet deep in this trench, still wasn't deep enough for that wench's stench. 1690. Here lies Jimmy, the old town idiot, mean as sin even without his gin. No longer does he wear that stupid old grin. Oh no, not where they've sent him. 1690. These are clever, I like them. Old man Crimp was a gimp who couldn't hear. That seems bad. Uh Sliced yeah. his wife from ear to ear. She died. He was fried. Now they're together again, side by side. 1720. Brutal. Nice. Christy was misty-eyed the day she died. Axe to a head. Now there's no more complaining, even when it's raining. 1860. So it seems like the Purtles are handling things well. You know, it's mid-October. They've put up their Halloween decorations. I I was totally waiting for things like, I don't care what you see. I will not move this RV. Well, but why would they do that? I don't care what you say. They own this fucking driveway. It's not like every single one of those tombstones is actually carrying the name of one of the neighbors who pushed for the petition. Uh, so happy. Every what? single one of them. Oh. And I'm right, though. It's not like that. It's not. I want to let you know, they did not make six tombstones with the names of their neighbors and these verses implying that they were gin-soaked wife murderers or if they stank so bad they had to be buried 12 feet down and even that wasn't enough. Hey, you explained, uh, 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 what, what's that thing called when you insult someone and they're like, you can't do that. And you can sue them over it. And, and defamation of defamation. character. You can't prove. Maybe these are all true. Right, right. It's, they didn't do that. They didn't put up six tombstones with their neighbor's information on it. No, no, no. just the neighbor's names. They this put up five great. tombstones. <laughs> they only had five neighbors. They put up five tombstones. Um, Misty-eyed Christy was uh, the last one. Was fictional. The rest of them, though, the other five, oh, those were references to their neighbors. I love that they ran out of neighbors like, well, we still got this tombstone. No shit. girl from grade school. No shit. The actual appeal opinion reads, Jeff Pertell said he included Misty-Eyed Christy to balance out the display. That's amazing. (laughs) He's like, oh, well, we got three on this side. We got to have three on that side, but we only got five assholes. So... Look at all the extra effort I put into this. We're fine. So the neighbors did not like this. Oh, hold on. We got to throw this one out there. I just read it. Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places Will Zone. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) So hold on. Buddy Good Boy 
has just told me that I I got sent a a copy of the photos from the case. Yes. Let me let me. How the hell did he find those? Let me see. You're gonna have to put a link in in, in the uh, when you post this. Uh, I, I will. Yeah, I will put this up. I will download this and put it up on Telegram or on Telegram on Patreon. Uh, so that people can can see that uh, the it, it's you know what the RV doesn't look as bad as you would think it is definitely going over the fucking property line <laughs> like like that is not an RV you should be storing on residential property. Okay, yeah, now I'm see. Okay, I see the picture. That is the problem. Yeah, he is like way. He's in the bushes. So <laughs> the Pirtles neighbor, neighbors aren't too happy about this. They don't like being called out via tombstone, right? <laughs> uh, they're obviously upset. So what do they do? Do they go over and say, hello, you crazy people who put up tombstones with our names on them. Could you please take them down? Uh, of course not. It sounds like a good way to get shot, even in the suburbs. Yeah. Well, they've already got your tombstone going. So, yeah, I agree with you. So they call the police. And tell the Bloomingdale police that they are intimidated by the tombstone display and they want it taken down. Okay. So October 18th, uh, the cops show up. They look at the tombstones. They go to Jeff Pearl and like, hey, dude, just take down the tombstones. Let me make sure I understand. This is one of those situations where if he would have went outside and put them away, we're done here, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, people, stop being idiot assholes. All right, but it doesn't, it doesn't even come to that because when they say, take down the tombstones, man, it's upsetting your neighbors. Jeff Pirtle's like, no, you can't make me do that. I think they can. Actually, no, the cops agreed with Jeff Pirtle. Oh, really? They're like, yeah, yeah we, we can't make him take them down. They're not really threatening. However, in, in the spirit of comedy... Jeff Pirtle agrees to put duct tape over the names on the tombstones. Oh, this is getting... Did he then write the names no. on the duct tape? No, because... he, puts, he puts duct tape over the names of the tombstones. Halloween happens. Halloween ends. About a week after Halloween, November 6th, right? One of the neighbors looks out and sees that the duct tape has fallen off the tombstones and the names can be seen again. <laughs> So they immediately pick up the phone. And you know what happens. Like, the cops are like, look, he's got to put tape on the tombstones. And then they saw the tape had fallen off, like, five days after Halloween. Like, we're calling the police. He agreed to put tape on those tombstones. Fuck him. So they, so they call the cops again. All right? The cops come back out. It's an officer, Bruce Mason, and another cop come back out. Uh, and they speak with Betty Garbaz and Diane Lesnar, who, you know, Betty, who was buried 12 feet deep, and Diane, who was Lyon. Right? Oh, boy. Uh, and Betty and Diane tell the cops, you know, we feel intimidated. We feel threatened by this, right? Uh, right. And, and we think that the real purpose of this is Pertel is using it to express how angry he is with us about this RV ordinance. Okay? So the cops go back over to the Pertle house. They talk to Jeff Pertle again. Uh, and they they explain, look, your neighbors feel threatened. They feel like this is an expression of anger and that you're going to do something more. Uh, Pertle says, yeah, I'll, 
look, I'll put the tape back up. All right, I'll, I'll put the tape back up. So Pirtle goes outside. It's after the- Halloween. Take yeah. down your tombstone. He's not doing that. Pirtle is, is not doing that. He walks back out. He puts the uh, the tape back on it. And Mason, Officer Mason, looks at Pirtle and is like, hey, your neighbors feel threatened by this. They want me to arrest you. And Pirtle's like, well, it's not my intent to threaten them. Right? All right. So they're sitting there. They're on the front lawn. They're talking. And here comes Bob Lesnar, the next door neighbor and husband of Diane Lesnar, who was on one of the tombstones. God. Bob sees the cop and Jeff Pirtle talking, walks over there, and they start to argue with each other on the Pirtle's front lawn. So... They're yelling. Of course, the cops just right there while Pirtle and Lesnar are just screaming at each other on the lawn. And then Lesnar chest bumps Pirtle. Wait, chest bumps? That fucking thing where you're like in somebody's face screaming and you throw your chest out to knock them back. The thing the two empires did? Yes. Okay, this is getting even better. All right. Like, and they so we've call, got chest bumpies. Like, and, the, and the court's aware that chest bump implies a friendly connotation because they don't call it chest bumping. They call it chest butting. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, at which point, Bruce Mason, Officer Bruce Mason, pulls them apart looks at Pirtle and says, if you don't take down the tombstones, I'm going to arrest you for disorderly conduct. Oh. So Jeff Pirtle looks the cop in the eyes and says, no. Oh, my God. Right? Uh. And and then I I love how they put this. Uh, (laughs) Pirtle again refused and was momentarily handcuffed. At that point, he rethought his options and relented. <laughs> Say okay. The best legal way of putting, he got handcuffs put up. Like, you're going to jail. I was like, fine, I'll take down the fucking tombstones. Yeah, no, handcuffs are a sobering moment, man. That's like, <laughs> all right, this is not worth it. So the cop takes the tombs, uh, the tombstones. The cop takes the handcuffs off and Pirtle puts the tombstones away, right? That's the end of it, right? We're all, oh, that was a good one. Right. Uh, it's not the end of it at fucking all. Ah, how am I not surprised? Because the Purtles turn around and immediately sue the cop. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> 14, this is great. 42 USC 1983 is a provision of the United States Code that allows somebody to sue the police for a violation of their civil rights, their constitutional rights. Oh, my God. So the Purtles turn around and sue Bruce Mason. And what do they sue him for? Breach of rights. What rights? Uh, Let's go with, so they can get it all the way up to the Supreme Court, freedom of speech. That's one of them. They sue him okay. under, under a violation of First Amendment rights. And I got to assume it has something to do with property rights, saying that you can't tell us what to put up nope. here. Nope. No? Nope. Uh, freedom of tombstone. Oh, yeah. You can write anything as an epitaph, so as long as they buried some animals in front of those, that's, that counts, right? That's not a constitutional right. 
Oh, it's not? No. Oh, shit. I got to get all these tombstones out of my backyard. I'll be right back. We we covered this in another episode. The, the specific right. Yeah. Yeah. Remember the one about the cops crossing state lines and kidnapping people? Ah, uh, jurisdiction. No, okay. the Fourth Amendment unlawful detainer. Oh, shit. They, oh, okay, okay. They say that uh, uh, Pirtle says he was arrested without probable cause. So it's a First Amendment violation for making him take down the tombstones, which he okay. said was a violation of his freedom of speech rights and a Fourth Amendment violation for unlawful detainer, for, for uh, arrest without probable cause. Okay? Okay. So Officer Mason turns around. And says, uh, first of all, I had probable cause to arrest you. Uh, d- d- creating a, a what? A Disorderly conduct. Of, Disorderly yeah, conduct. yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. uh, that makes sense. Okay. Then he says, and on your First Amendment claim, I am entitled to qualified immunity. Okay. Okay. Do you know what qualified immunity is? Unfortunately, I do know that one. That was in the news a little while ago, way too much. What is it? Qualified immunity is when certain people doing certain jobs are immune to being sued because the job basically would put them in a place where they should be sued constantly. Well, yes I mean, and that's no, the because, dumbest because way to say it. I know you have a better way. It's generally the idea that if you're doing it, it really only applies to like police officers and EMTs and shit. But uh, the idea is... Even if they violated your rights, if they reasonably believed that they weren't violating your rights, then they can't be sued. They're entitled to immunity because they acted. Oh, is that really how it works? I mean, that's that's boiling it down. I I used to call boiling it down to stupid, but that that's what it is. Right. Okay. Now the thing is, and that makes sense in some cases, right? Like if there's a genuine question of law. Should somebody be sued because they're like, no, the law may allow me to do this. It's it's not, they're not doing it in bad faith. They genuinely have misunderstood the law. Now, what has happened with qualified immunity is it has gotten to a point where it's basically, if no court under this exact set of circumstances has already told you you can't do that, it's reasonable to believe that you could. I mean, something like Jesus. that for these guys. It's, it's really, it's ridiculous. Not, there's a, we'll do another qualified immunity case at some point in the future. Uh, but let me ask, why would Mason have thought that he had the right to abrogate that speech? Uh, because it was, uh, he, the neighbors felt threatened by it, I'm going to mm, guess. But is that enough? In his mind. Is that enough? That, keeping in mind that no right that we have as citizens is completely unfettered. All right. Okay? Like, you have a right to bear arms. You don't have a right to carry guns into schools. Right. Okay? Uh, you have a right to, to, uh, to assemble peacefully. You don't have a right to assemble peacefully on private property. Okay. Okay. We have rights, but there are limits to our rights. Reasonable limits to our rights. So is it because the neighbors were causing so much of a fuss that the cop actually saw a, a, a kerfuffle in front of him? It's like, no, this has gone too far. You're getting really close to it. 
So it's gone too far. Because that's, that's, that's the disorderly conduct, really. But you're getting close to it. Okay, because you got to remember, when it comes to this, this 42 USC 1983 and the qualified immunity, the question is, why did the officer think that he had the legal right to limit the speech of Jeff Pirtle? Okay, then, yeah, I got to go with that. Uh, what it was doing to the neighbors was going to cause an escalation, and he was trying to de-escalate. In Chaplinsky v. New Hampshire, 315 U.S. 568, United States Supreme Court, 1942. The court implemented something called the Fighting Words Doctrine when it came to free speech. And it said, this is a quote, that fighting words includes words that by their very utterance inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of the peace. Okay. Okay. And those types of words aren't protected by the First Amendment. Words that, by their very utterance, inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of the peace. Okay? Okay. All right. That makes sense. Now, the Purtles... So that's what he's using. Right. Now, the Purtles come back and say, um, in this case, uh, you know, the words that merely inflict an injury can't be justified by more recent First Amendment case law. Okay? Okay. Uh, therefore, it should be submitted to the jury. Now, Pirtle's saying, uh, you know, it, it should be submitted, or uh, the Pirtle's saying it should go to the, uh, we should be given summary judgment on this because as a matter of law these tombstones don't fall under fighting words. All right. Okay. They don't, they don't inflict injury, which really we think the current cases out of the Supreme court really kind of do away with inflicts injury and they don't have an immediate breach of the peace. The judge disagrees. All right. Saying that fighting words are abusive words or phrases directed at the person of the addressee, which by their very utterance inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of the peace, that is, words that are likely to provoke a violent reaction and play no role in the expression of ideas. On that, the judge says, this needs to go to the jury. I, I'm not, as a, I can't rule as a matter of law. The jury has to hear facts. The, okay. The jury finds for the cop on everything. All right. All right. Pearls come back and go, we'd like a uh, judgment notwithstanding the verdict, a Rule 50 motion. Uh, judge denies it. Pirtles file an appeal. Okay? All right. The Pirtles appeal, all right, is first, the inscriptions on the tombstones are fully protected. All right? They are not fighting words. Okay. Yeah, no, they're just silly little rhyming things. Okay. Right, their whole argument is based on the question inflicts injury and tends to incite an immediate breach of the peace. Alright, they're basically saying those are separate things. Okay. Interesting. Uh, so it, 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 and the first of those things, inflicts injury, doesn't really matter under post Chaplinsky case law. It's got, okay. it's got to incite an immediate breach of the peace. It can't just inflict some injury, all right? Okay. Uh, 
they then say the fourth summary judgment on the Fourth Amendment claim, you know, in favor of the officer by the court, right, uh, was improper. All right, so we're going uh, we're going to dispose first with the Fourth Amendment. All right, uh, keep in mind the facts. The officer does actually see Pirtle and his neighbor uh, being disorderly in the lawn yeah. when he arrests Pirtle. Do you think that that was right? That he was arrested. No, but that's just me not believing people should do that. Do you, but, do you think it's legally right that he was? Arrested? Yeah, I get you. Okay. Uh, fuck. See, I, I'd, I'd still say no that you shouldn't be able to do that because technically he's done nothing wrong. But the part that's getting me is the chest bumpies. Because I think the chest bumpies and the yelling. That's, okay, so, okay, I did not know the yeah. yelling would actually that's, be enough. That's so the chest monkeys... Yeah, that's why okay. the police uphold... That's why the court upholds the arrest. Is, okay. Is they're like, no, he saw people getting into a physical altercation in front of him. The, the arrest had probable cause. All right. Okay. So right. now the question goes down to the First Amendment violation. All right? I, I, uh, I still... I, 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 I think he should be able to do that. Well, I don't see why... The doctrine of qualified immunity is broad. Protecting all but plainly incompetent are those who knowingly violate the law. Remember, it's a good faith thing. Right. All right. It's it's uh, that they shouldn't have known that. So to do a qualified immunity thing, you actually have to kind of go through the case law and see, is there room for a mistake under the law okay. that we're talking about? Because what the cop's leaning on is Chaplinsky. You know, inflicts injury or immediate breach of the peace. Obviously, these tombstones inflicted injury because they were upsetting the neighbors who felt threatened. Right. Uh, and then there was a fight, and yeah, that that's enough. You know, even if I'm yeah. even if I'm wrong, based on the Chaplinsky fighting words doctrine, it's enough that I should get qualified immunity. What the court does on that is they look at it and say, okay, well. First, we have to establish, is this a protected right? Is it a plainly protected right? Okay. Okay. And that's on the plaintiff. That's on the Pertels to establish. All right? Right. Then the next part of it is, does the cop have a defense? Could the cop have, have under those circumstances, uh, colorably been reasonably mistaken as to the law? Okay. Okay. So they go through and uh, and they talk about Chaplinsky, right? And they come in and the very first thing they say is, you know, in Chaplinsky, the Supreme Court says there's certain well-defined, narrowly limited classes of speech, uh, the punishment of which and the prevention of which don't raise any constitutional issue whatsoever. Uh, the lewd and obscene, the profane, the libelous, and fighting words, insulting or fighting words. All right? Okay. And then say... Those are words that their utterance alone is not an essential part of any expression of ideas and are of such slight social value that any benefit is clearly outweighed by the social order of interest and morality. Okay? So, in discussing that, the question is, would those tombstones have met Chaplinsky? Wait, would they have met the, met the cop? And and to to address that, 
we've got to look at a couple things. First, does Chaplinsky still apply, you know, inflicting injury or causing an immediate breach of the peace? And, right, okay. And look at other cases, how they did it. Like, let me ask, uh, a defendant in a case walks up to a cop and calls him a damn racketeer and a damn fascist. Okay. All right. Uh, are those protected words or not? Uh, I would say no, because he's just insulting a cop, but there's nothing in there that's outright. So actually, no, I take it back. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that is protected. Um, Are you sure you want to stay with that answer? Not anymore. Because in Chaplinsky, that, that was the case in Chaplinsky, by the way. Oh God. Uh, the court came back and said, we don't need to even hear argument on this. Calling somebody a damn racketeer and a damn fascist is likely to provoke an average person to retaliation and cause a breach of the peace. What if they are a racketeer and a fascist? Well, then, then they're truthful statements. <laughs> I win! <laughs> but a lot of stuff happened after Chaplinsky. All right. Uh, okay. you know, in 2003, Virginia v. Black, uh, somebody burned a cross. Okay, that can't be protected. Right. Uh, the, the quote went down and said, the court went through it and said, uh, yeah, the threat doctrine kind of covers that a bit. Uh, in Texas v. Johnson, a flag burning fiction, uh, the court ignored the inflict injury prong of Chaplinsky to say, uh, that, fighting words should really be confined to just likely to provoke an average person to retaliate and cause a breach of the peace. Uh, NAACP v. Claiborne Hardware Company, that's a 1982 Supreme Court case, uh, didn't discuss inflict injury. Instead, went to uh, fighting words as those that provoke immediate violence. Okay. Uh, The idea being that after Chaplinsky, the courts kind of came back and said... Yeah, we're not really looking at this inflicts injury thing. We're we're looking at, is it likely to cause an immediate breach of the peace? And if it is, then it would be fighting words. Okay, Okay. all right. Probably the best quote from it, though, comes from Terminiello via City of Chicago. By the way, want to know why all these are coming out of Illinois. (laughs) So do I. Like... uh, Speech is protected unless shown likely to produce a clear and present danger of a serious substantive evil that rises far above public inconvenience, annoyance, or unrest. There is no room under our Constitution for a more restrictive view. In another case, the court said something that you'll hear me say in uh, in cases a lot of times, uh, but... The fact that an expressive activity hurts feelings is not enough to render it unprotected. Okay. Okay. So in this case, in the Pertel case, the Seventh Circuit looks at it and says, really, uh, the inflict injury alternative, you know, it either inflicts injury or is likely to cause an immediate breach of the peace. While it's never really expressly been overruled, it's never actually been the basis of a First Amendment argument. It's kind of fallen by the wayside. And all the cases after Chaplinsky have really narrowed the fighting words uh, doctrine. 
to take away that first first part. The uh, the words that by their very utterance inflict injury. Okay. Okay. So we are looking then at words that are likely to cause an immediate breach of the peace. That's when the fighting words doctrine applies for unprotected speech. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> and the Seventh Circuit then comes back and says, well, uh, we've actually addressed this question as whether certain words or activities are likely to uh, provoke a violent reaction and enhance a breach of the peace in the past. We've looked at this case. Okay. Okay. And they go in and say that they've previously held speech inflicting psychic trauma alone without a tendency to provoke responsive violence or an immediate breach of the peace does not lose constitutional protection. Okay. Okay. That case is Colin V. Smith, 578 F2D 1197. It's a 1978 case out of the Seventh Circuit. All right. All right. So in that case, a group wanted to hold a parade in the village of Skokie, Illinois. Oh, I know Skokie. Yeah. Uh, and... Skokie is a uh, is a very heavily or at the time was a very heavily Jewish area. Okay, and that very heavily I Jewish. I think we just found the part of the story where the Nazis come in. Don't that very we? heavily Jewish area had a lot of Holocaust survivors and their families in it. Oh, and uh, the group that wanted to march through this area and uh, had a a request for a permit uh, to to march through that was denied uh, under fighting words, uh, was obviously the Shriners. It, it, it was not the Shriners. It was the National Socialist Party of America, uh, the, you know, the Illinois Nazis, who proposed to march through Skokie uh, wearing German Nazi Party uniforms and carrying Nazi flags. At least they weren't in tiny cars. Oh, my God. So, oh my God, what is wrong with them? In that case, they were denied the permit to march. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the the reason they were denied was obviously you're going to have Nazis marching through a heavily Jewish town with a uh, large number of Holocaust survivors, um, and the court and everybody agreed that there would be psychic trauma, that, that, that this would cause emotional and psychological trauma to the people there. All right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the potential, yeah. or as the court put it there, the potential for severe psychological injury as a result of the proposed Nazi parade was conceded. It was also conceded, however, that the march was not likely to provoke responsive violence or immediate breaches of the peace. Huh. essentially saying that the march is not likely to cause the people of Skokie to react violently. I don't see that as being true. Well, 
you know, if somebody we'll, we'll get we'll get to that. But um, oh god damn it! But because it was whether it was true or not, it was conceded at the time. It was conceded by the by the city at some point that that march was unlikely to cause a violent reaction. It it would have a horrible impact on people. It would inflict injury upon them psychologically, yeah. but it was not likely to have a violent response. Therefore, in that case, in Colin, the Seventh Circuit said, yeah, you can't deny it. Under, under Shaplensky fighting words, you can't deny it because inflicting psychological injury isn't enough. It has to be likely to cause an immediate breach of the peace. Uh, the Nazis were allowed to march based on those concessions. What the fuck? So. <sighs> okay. That was the state of the law at the time all Mason right. did this. And this is all fairly well-established law. Okay. So now we move on to the second part of the uh, uh, of the qualified immunity analysis. Remember, the first part is fundamental right. Okay. They met that. It's a speech issue. Okay. Second part is, was the officer's belief reasonable? The officer's belief that he could order them to take that down. I mean, it sounds like it was still going back to the chest bumpies. He saw the cause and response. He saw the cause being the words on a tombstone in verse. So I could see his argument like, no, I was trying to protect people. I don't agree with it, but I could see that being the argument. Was that the argument? Well, you got to think because chest bumpies may be a part of it. But the question isn't about what did happen. The question was whether the speech itself was such that it fell under fighting words, which no. we, we've established it didn't, and was it such that the officer could believe, reasonably believe, based on the, the law at the time, that it would fall under fighting words. What In that situation was the officer's action in good faith, believing that he was acting in accordance with the law. So and what, not using the information that they he saw them get right, into a fight in front right. of him. Because that's separate from the words. It, it could go into the question, but it's separate from the words. So let's uh, look at it. Let's look at the facts, all right? First, yeah. nobody's going to deny that the tombstones inflicted emotional injury. Yeah. Okay. But we already know. That's what they're there for. Yeah, we already know that's not enough. Okay. Uh, and the court agrees. Court says the messages were not in context, the sort of provocatively abusive speech that inherently tends to incite an immediate breach of the peace. Says they were Halloween decorations. Uh, says they were mocking messages directed at uh, particular neighbors as well as the passing public. Uh, but the average person, understanding the full context, would recognize the tombstone descriptions as nothing more than an adolescent attempt at retaliatory ridicule. Not the sort yeah. of inflammatory and personally abusive epithets that tend to provoke a violent reaction. I agree. Yeah, okay. All right. The second part. You keep coming back to chest bumpies. Yeah. But those chest bumpies happened on November 6th. By that point, the tombstones had been up for weeks. Okay, so this only happened because the cop was there. Not only that, what's the fighting words test? 
Oh, immediate. Immediate breach oh, of the peace. Oh, son of a bitch, I missed that. Nice. If the tombstones were of the nature to cause an immediate breach of the peace, it would have already, already happened. Son of a bitch, good one. Oh. Therefore, Words matter. Therefore, because they weren't directed insults of the type that would trigger a violent reaction, and because they had been up, which showed that they weren't the type of words that would immediately cause a breach of a peace, what did they not qualify as? They don't qualify under that, uh, the, the, that you can't say them. The fighting words doctrine. Thank you. They weren't unprotected speech. Oh, my God. Okay. I love it. However, how do you think the court ruled? Well, the, 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 you, you just gave me the answer. So they, they ruled that they are not that uh, the, the, they are not fighting words. So right. he can leave up his Halloween decorations all year. But remember, like they're a true they're Illinois suing, suburbanite. They're suing Officer Mason. Oh right. And this I'm whole analysis, it, everything to date, everything that we have discussed, is regarding whether or not Officer Mason is entitled to qualified immunity, which is that two-part test. One, uh, is it a fundamental right? Is it a clearly established right? It is. It's First Amendment. Two, could a reasonable person in those officers' shoes with the state of that law? have made that mistake in good faith. I'm going to say they still found for the cop because I've never heard of a qualified immunity going in the proper direction, but also because the way you just described it to me, it came down to one word, immediate. They probably don't think he realized that. That is, active, that it, that is entirely correct. That, is that what it was? That's immediate? The Seventh Circuit reads... Officer Mason's mistake in thinking he could constitutionally order Patel to dismantle the tombstone display on pain of arrest was one a reasonable officer might make in this situation. Although the fighting words doctrine has been with us for decades, it has not been entirely clear whether speech that injures but does not incite an immediate breach of the peace is protected or unprotected. And Officer Mason reasonably may have misunderstood the immediacy requirement of the fighting words doctrine in the context of this case. And misapprehending the constitutionally protected status of Pertel's tombstone speech, Officer Mason did not violate clearly established rights. First Amendment line drawing is often difficult, even in hindsight. Officer Mason's on-the-street judgment, though mistaken, is entitled to qualified immunity. Yeah, there it is. Okay. All right. All right. I, oh, my God. I, I, I do love this because you think that ends it, right? Like, well, uh, all uh, I think uh, is agree that or, this court... Go ahead. Agree or disagree, you can see how they reached the decision they reached. Like, Absolutely. Like, they, they're saying, okay, number one, no. Uh, this is this wasn't constitutionally uh, unprotected speech. You, you're you not really able to do that. Uh, two, we get, given how complicated it was, we get why you thought you could. Yeah. They, yeah, no, okay, I follow that. Also, I'm pretty sure they wanted these tombstones in an evidence locker because that's just cool to keep in an evidence and, locker. And there's a, there's a number three on this. Oh, what's the three? 
Remember back when we started this and I told you about qualified immunity, uh, how a lot of times qualified immunity will go for the courts or go for the cops unless the courts have already said something on a very similar situation. Yes. Okay. What's this case do? Sets precedence. This case now in the future can be pointed to. And now how specific it'll get. A court may say, yeah, in that case, it was tombstones. Uh, in this case, they were signs. <laughs> so, oh no. God. But, uh, like, and there's, I, I know a guy who did uh, qualified, uh, like, like he, he fought qualified immunity uh, defenses all the time. And it, I love it. The decision that he was saying, no, this decision makes it clear that the cops can't do that. Uh, the court said, yes, but in that decision, the suspect was running through a ditch. And in this decision, he was running through a bramble bush. And, and that was enough. Oh, come on. Oh, my God. Okay. I uh, love this. But the best part of this, because this is, this is precedent in the Seventh Circuit. This case, the case of the RV and the poorly rhyme, rhyming tombstones of insult has oh set First God. Amendment precedent and qualified immunity precedent in the Seventh Circuit. That's incredible. Two, the court recognized how batshit this is. Thank you. Thank you, court. The court's closing is wonderful, and I'm just going to read this. Oh, please do. <clears throat> this is from the court's conclusion. In closing, a few words in defense of a saner use of judicial resources. It is unfortunate <laughs> that this petty neighborhood dispute found its way into federal court, invoking the machinery of a justice system that is admired around the world. The suit was not so wholly without basis in fact or law as to be frivolous, but neither was it worth the inordinate effort it has taken to adjudicate it on the part of judges, jurors, court staff, and attorneys, all, of course, at the public expense. We take this opportunity to remind the bar that sound and responsible legal representation includes counseling as well as advocacy. The wiser course would have been to counsel the plaintiffs against filing such a trivial lawsuit. Freedom of speech encompasses the freedom to speak foolishly and without moderation. But it does not follow that every nominal violation of that right is or should be compensable. Dem oh, this is great. <laughs> Not every constitutional grievance deserves an airing in court. Lawsuits like this one cast the legal profession in a bad light and contribute to the impression that Americans are an over-lawyered and excessively litigious people. <laughs> oh, they didn't want anything to do with this. It is amazing. I, I have never seen a conclusion from the court that is literally just, you really should have told your clients to drop it. <laughs> That's um, I didn't actually know what a judge could be like, dude, just stop. <laughs> I mean, that it's just, that is just wonderful. I loved seeing that part. The, the I love seeing that part and th because this all started with silly, stupid Halloween decorations that I would have totally made just with your name on it for funsies. What? Like, everything about that is just shit that I do in the middle of August for fun. I, I, I just... 
Like the whole case was just, <laughs> and you know the I I got I got to check. Hold on, I, I got to check something. Uh, uh, is is he even like uh, Illinois? <laughs> Illinois. I need to I need to I need to just make sure. Hold on. There's an S at the end. Okay. Yeah, he's he's still around. Uh. Seems like a great guy. Oh my God! <laughs> See, uh, Mr. Jeffrey Pirtle was present and asked the board why they voted against the Second Amendment Preservation Act. <laughs> that says a oh lot, my. right there. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> that was. You should have started with that line. That answers a lot of questions. Ooh. Speaking of which, by the way, j- just want to point out. Uh, yeah, the uh, the the National Socialist Party of America v. Village of Skokie woman. They're like, oh yeah, that march isn't gonna ain't gonna have a uh, any bad effects. Like, you know, it's it's yeah, not none, no. it's not likely to cause uh, cause violence. Uh, I, I just want how point, many riots? I, I'm not sure if there were any real riots out of it. Uh, I do want to say. Uh, the response was wonderful. Uh, oh? Yeah. Uh, the Illinois Holocaust Museum and Education Center was actually founded in response to the United States Supreme Court decision. That's awesome. What? Yep. It was set up on the main street of Skokie, Illinois, by Holocaust survivors uh, upset. On uh, on the Supreme Court decision in what they called the parallel case, the the same case that went up to the Supreme Court. I love it. I love it. Yep. Uh, and as to what happened with the Nazi march, yeah, how'd that go? Um, they didn't march in Skokie. Huh? Yeah. They because they hadn't gotten permission, they never followed through on the march, even after uh, winning the. Uh, winning the the case to allow them to uh instead they uh they went and marched in chicago because chicago ended up giving them a uh, a permit to march oh chicago um and uh in 1980 uh jake blues asked a police officer What's going on? And the police officer responded, uh, ah, those bums won their court case, so they're marching today. And Jake responds, what bums? And the officer responds, the fucking Nazi party, to which the Blues Brothers say, Illinois Nazis. Illinois Nazis. I hate hate Illinois Illinois Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And that, is the story story of Pirtle v. Mason, the uh, the Halloween spite decoration case that made precedent in the First Amendment and qualified immunity in the That's Seventh Circuit wonderful. Court of Appeals. Okay, no, I love that stupid Halloween tombstone set a precedent like that. That's wonderful, folks. Also, I really got to hand it to you, man. That was an episode with Nazis in it. And not none of us, not a single Nazi pun. Not one. I, I, like not what? Because you know, like Nazi puns just aren't right. Yeah. 
And frankly, I won't stand for God it. God damn it. Yes, I win. I wish I could say I did not see that coming, but I definitely did. I saw where you were going. Oh, come on, man. Your eyes say nine, but your lederhosen says. (laughs) (laughs) And folks, that will do it for this episode of Boozy's Legal Funhouse. We're back on track. We're back on schedule. Alkali and I have had a long conversation about staying on schedule with this shit moving forward. Uh, Yes. You hopefully no one's house burns down or something before the next episode. Why would you say that? <laughs> I don't know. You just watched me make five-hour stew on a campfire yesterday. My garage is slightly melted. <laughs> Alkali, once again, where can they find you? You can find me over on Alkali's Anonymous over on Twitch, where I'll be streaming on a schedule starting in the next few weeks. But for right now, random shows, uh, if you go there and follow me, it'll send you an alert. Lots of D&D, lots of Baldur's Gate, lots of silly things with tons of audience interaction. Thank you guys for the insane continued support, especially after uh, being gone for over a month. And uh, to you, dude, thank you. And I'm so sorry for, for having to put the show on hiatus. It, uh, it means the world to me. I, you are truly an insanely good friend. Man. Like I said, everybody was like, when's the next episode coming? I'm like, what? My buddy's got his shit together. <laughs> <laughs> that will never happen. So we just went this weekend. What, instead. Once I know he's not going to break down crying in the middle of it, we can talk about it. Cause he may be emotionally stable enough to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a tort case. I made a tort for them once. Oh. I'll tell you, no shit, man. I when we were talking about it, and I'm like, I had to, I've had a divorce case that I want to talk about for like two months, and I'm like, yeah, I can't do that right now. Oh <laughs> my god, no, I'm not kidding. So about a week after it happened, I'm finally like, no, today I'm taking a day. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to catch up on all the shows that I've missed an episode or two. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Four out of the five of them. Either breakups, a divorce in one of them, losing a wife of 20 years in one of them. I'm just like, okay, TV, you hate me too. Well, I just, I love, we went uh, just as an aperitif to the story for our listeners. Uh, after this happened, I, I took Alkali out to the woods to scream at trees for a weekend. It was very nice. And I showed up, he showed up at the campground. I showed up at the campground. I had a case of beer. And the first night we sat there, we ate steaks and we drank every fucking beer in that case. Yes, we did. And we left them in a pile between our two camp chairs in front of the fire. I was trying to make a uh, prayer totem. The next morning I walked out, I walked over to my truck where I had a wash basin and I'm cleaning up. And uh, Alkali is still asleep, and the park ranger drives by the space, sees me shirtless washing up in my truck, looks at me, looks at the pile of beer, looks at me, looks at the pile of beer, looks at me and says, uh, so you all are being safe. And I looked at him and I said, no, 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 officer, it's fine. My buddy just got divorced. I've got him out here drinking beer and screaming at trees. He just drove away after that. He did. He just put the car in drive and left. 
That's see, that's the beauty. I still go camping fairly constantly, and my go-to line anytime a ranger tries, like, uh, sir, I'm like, sir, I am an overweight 40-year-old. Do you think I am doing anything more than making snack bacon for the next 12 hours and sitting in that camp chair? Go away. <laughs> Folks, that will wrap up this episode of Boozy's Legal Funhouse. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you'll come back and visit us next time. If you want to support the show, you can do it over at patreon.com slash lawyersandliquor. And until then, I'm your host, the Boozy Badger, Boozy Barrister. I'm Alkali. You have a wonderful rest of your day. Good night, everyone.